So, anyway, hello. <laughs> it's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. My name is Peter Williams. Uh, if you want to look me up on the internet, uh, it's P-E-T-E-R, uh, the initial S, Williams, and you'll find uh, lots of uh, papers, and uh, I've got a podcast channel on iTunes, uh, which is all free, and this talk, you know, I'm recording myself whenever I do anything, uh, so you can find other talks on other topics, and this topic, and so on, and papers that are free, and so on. I'm... Uh, a Christian philosopher. Uh, I did philosophy for six years at universities uh, before doing some student work, and I now work with a, an educational charity, a Christian charity in England, and I've got a part-time um, uh, professor post uh, at a college of journalism in Norway, uh, in Kristiansand, uh, where I teach uh, communication and worldviews uh, to uh, journalism students and students involved in, in media uh, to think about how different people's uh, point of view on the big questions in life uh, uh, it impacts uh, their work uh, in uh, communicating ideas in media and understanding where different people are, are coming from and so on. Uh, so that's uh, sort of me and my day job, as it were, and uh, when I get the opportunity, I love to come out and uh, speak at university groups and churches and uh, anyone who will have me, so it's lovely uh, to be hosted here. They've asked me to talk about uh, the new atheism. Has everybody heard of this movement of atheists called the new atheists? Or do I need to do a bit of an introduction to the new atheists, because you might think, well, atheism isn't very new. There's, you know, atheists have been around for a long time. True. Um, but just as there are different sorts of Christian, there are different sorts of atheist as well. Just as Christians all hold certain beliefs in common that make them Christians, um, so atheists all hold some beliefs in common, particularly they don't believe that God exists. This is quite key. But they differ on all sorts of other matters. Um, so they might differ very much on their political philosophy or what they think about how society uh, should be run. Hello. Hi. Hello. Come in. It's all right. No worries. Uh, so, I'll introduce the, the new atheists and what is at the, the kind of uh, the heart of making the distinction between a new atheist and an old atheist, or I prefer saying classical atheist, perhaps. Christopher Hitchens, as an English uh, journalist and writer, who uh, then went to America and became an American citizen. Um, a couple of years ago, he wrote uh, a best-selling book called God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything, which gives you a bit of a clue, that title, where he's coming from. And this quote from Christopher Hitchens 
I think, really gets to the, the heart of where new atheists are coming from. It says, I not only maintain that all religions are versions of the same untruth, but I hold that religious belief is positively harmful. So, of course, all atheists think the claim God exists is wrong, it's false. But not all atheists would agree with Christopher Hitchens when he says not only is it a a false belief, an intellectual mistake to believe in God, but it is positively harmful. It's a bad thing for people, for society, that there are people who believe in God. Religion is a bad thing. It's an evil thing. Uh, Something that we should therefore um, oppose and try and get rid of in order to make the world a better place. There are, of course, plenty of atheists who would say, well, I think you're mistaken to believe in God, but it's fine for you to believe in God if that's what you want to do. As long as we get along, we can be friendly, you can have your place in society, Um, I'll let you have your place in society, you let me have my beliefs, that's fine. The new atheists are not like that. They are um, anti theist rather than simply atheist Hitchens also says that religion any religion but particularly they have Christianity in mind is a surrender of reason in favour of faith and this is absolutely at the core of why atheists like Hitchens think that religious belief is an evil thing because they think that to be religious means to have faith and to have faith means not being reasonable they have this view that either you you follow reason and you're rational in what you believe about the universe or you have faith And so, if you're religious, you have faith, you're not reasonable, that means you can very easily be uh, convinced, say, to become a suicide bomber or fly a plane into a building because you're not, you're not guiding your life by what's reasonable because you have faith. So you could do anything. You're dangerous see where that leads out so they think you know even the the nicest sort of um, we have this uh, stereotypical image of the the English country vicar um, drinking tea giving out cake at the annual church fete in the summer it's all very nice it's all very uh, middle class as we would say in England where they would say have a nice someone religious seems to be you know most religious people aren't going to go and blow themselves up in order to fulfil their goals somehow but because they endorse this idea of faith which means not being reasonable even the nicest religious person is dangerous for society because they are Um, 
they're giving uh, giving a place in people's thinking that it's okay to have faith rather than to be reasonable. Now, you see, it's one thing to accuse a belief system of intending but failing to be rational. There are lots of atheists who would say, yeah, I think Christians are trying to be reasonable. Christians are intending to believe things reasonably. It's just that they've failed at that task. It's quite another thing to accuse a belief system of being deliberately irrational, of setting out to be unreasonable. And new atheists think that all religious believers are deliberately setting out to ignore reason and rationality. Um, Now, I would say that I think there are some religious people, there are some Christians who are not reasonable who do not think enough about what they believe and why they believe it. But it is simply wrong to say that all religious people are like that, which is what the New Atheists say. For example, think of a Bible verse like 1 Peter 3, verse 15. This is the Apostle Peter writing to fellow Christians in the first century. And he says to these Christians, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That is, your hope in Jesus. Your hope in God that he will fulfill the promises that you think that he's made to you as a Christian but do this with gentleness and respect and you'll notice I've put in little brackets here after answer the word that we're translating as answer here in the original Greek of Peter's letter is apologia it literally meant a a word back it was a, a word that described what your lawyer would do for you in court if you're accused of a crime your defence lawyer gets up and gives an apologia a a rational defence of why you're innocent of what you've been accused of and Peter is saying to Christians you must you Christians must always be ready to give a rational defence evidence to people who ask you, why do you trust Jesus? Why are you a Christian? Christians are meant to be able to give a reason. So Christians should intend, should aim at being reasonable. Now, of course, they might fail. They might be wrong. 
But new atheists like Christopher Hitchens are saying that religious people, Christians, aren't even trying to be reasonable. Now, here from one of the foundational documents of the Christian religion is a command to Christians that they ought to try and be reasonable. Um, Now, not every Christian follows that command, obviously, but a lot do try. I would say I myself, as a Christian who studied philosophy um, and engaged in a lot of debates with atheists and so on, I'm trying to believe what I do reasonably and rationally. Um, I might not succeed at that, but that's what I'm trying to do, at least. Professor John Lennox, you were saying earlier that you've been reading his book on the new atheism, um, Gunning Gunning for God, is it? Gunning for God, very good book. Uh, He's a philosopher of uh, science, in particular, from Oxford University in England. And he points out that the new atheists are characterised, what defines them is that they have this blind faith that all faith is blind faith. The very fact that in English you can, you can qualify the meaning of the term faith by saying, oh, it's blind faith, should sort of tip us off to the fact that not all faith is just by nature, by definition, a matter of, of shutting your eyes and taking a blind leap of faith. Um, John Lennox says, don't, don't a- these new atheists even read dictionaries? Um, this is uh, from Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Now, there's a number of different meanings of the word faith. And one of those meanings, you can see I've highlighted it in red here, basically amounts to having blind faith. Um, a firm belief in something for which there's no proof or no evidence. That would be blind faith. But clearly the word also means things like um, loyalty, fidelity to your promises, keeping, keeping good faith with someone, being faithful to your wife or husband, um, being loyal, trusting, complete trust. Now just because I tell you I trust someone... That doesn't allow you to know whether my trust in them is something that is well-placed, that I've got good reasons for trusting them, or not. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. But just because I have faith in them, you can't say, oh, you've got faith in that person, therefore you're being irrational and unreasonable. Obviously not. And yet, here's uh, one of the new atheists, philosopher, from Oxford again, called A.C. Grayling. And he says, faith involves deliberate ignoring of evidence or commitment despite a lack of evidence. That's just what it means. Or Richard Dawkins, you've probably heard of Richard Dawkins, famous uh, evolutionary biologist from England. He says, uh, faith is blind trust in the absence of evidence or even in the teeth of evidence. That's in the face of evidence against it 
that's just what they just take it for granted that that's what it means and it doesn't mean that a, a much better word for translating faith in English I think would, would just be trust um, I tend not to say these days as a Christian I have faith in God or I have faith in Jesus because the new atheists have done such a good job uh, in the media and through their books and TV programs and things of, of keep putting forward this message to have faith means to be blind to reject anything to do with reason or evidence um, that if you say to people I have faith what they hear is I'm an ignorant irrational dangerous person so I tend to say I have trust in God I trust Jesus uh, and usually follow up by saying and I think I've got good reason to as well the um, just a selection of verses from the, the Bible here uh, I'm not going to go through them all but you'll notice that there are verses from the Old Testament from the New Testament uh, from uh, the prophets from the Gospels from Acts, from the Apostle Paul, from the Apostle Peter, uh, all of them making a similar point that, that matters of um, evidence, reason, proving, defending, confirming, thinking, giving answers, giving answers, reasoning, are very important in thinking about God and who he is and how you're going to relate to him so the Bible at least is very keen on rational trust and it is against blind faith sometimes new atheists try and point to bits of the Bible to uh, make their point that faith is always blind and when they ignore <laughs> this kind of constant theme in the Bible but try and justify their um, misunderstanding of faith by pointing to bits of the Bible invariably they um, rip that bit of the Bible completely out of context and misrepresent uh, the, the obvious meaning of it I'll just give you one example the story of Doubting Thomas you must know the story of Doubting Thomas when Jesus uh, is risen uh, from the dead and he appears uh, to various of his uh, friends but the uh, disciple Thomas wasn't there he was in the you know, wrong place at the wrong time <laughs> and then Thomas returns Jesus isn't there anymore and He's got ten of his best friends, people that he's uh, been living with side by side for at least three years. So think of, you know, your best friend from university, ten of your best friends from university, all telling you their eyewitness testimony that something happened. In this case, their eyewitness testimony that they at least sincerely believed that they'd met Jesus again, even though they'd just seen him murdered by the Romans three days earlier. 
And Thomas famously says, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is back from the dead, like he said he would be, like you've all told me he is, unless I can see him for myself and I can put my finger in the holes that the nails made. Unless I can do that, I'm not going to believe. And then Jesus turns up and says, as Sam Harris quotes, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. So Sam Harris says, look, there we go. This shows, this story of Doubting Thomas, that ignorance, blind faith, is the true coinage of this realm. This is what religion is all about. Blind faith, blessed are those who've not seen and believed. Doesn't that show that religion is a matter of ignorance and blind faith? Well, first of all, Jesus is, is recommending that people should think it's reasonable to believe in his resurrection without having to see him themselves, without having to have first-hand evidence. But first-hand evidence is not the only kind of evidence. In a court of law, okay, you might be able to watch uh, a closed-circuit television camera video of someone committing the crime. And then you've seen them commit the crime. Well, that's not the only kind of evidence people could give you that someone's guilty. If you had ten of your best friends all saying, yep, yep, Pete committed the crime, we saw him do it. Would you still be reasonable to say, well, I'm not going to believe Pete's guilty unless I've got a videotape of it myself. Unless I, you know, because I wasn't there, I'm not going to believe it. It's not quite the same thing, is it? Again, here's a quote from A.C. Grayling, who also tries to make the same point from the same Doubting Thomas story. In John's Gospel, this this story of Doubting Thomas comes in, in the Gospel of John. Earlier on in John's Gospel, Jesus himself recommends that people believe in him because of the evidence of his miracles, of the signs that he works. He says... Uh, Believe on the evidence of the miracles. So it would be quite a strange thing for the author of that gospel to represent Jesus on one occasion saying to people, you could believe in me because of the evidence I'm giving you. And then represent him on another occasion saying, you really shouldn't be asking for evidence. You should just have blind faith in me. I suppose an author could be confused. People do contradict themselves sometimes, don't they? But it's not a, it's not a very charitable way of, of reading what John's, John's Gospel is saying there. And indeed, notice that in the story of Doubting Thomas, Jesus actually does show up to give Thomas first-hand evidence of his resurrection. Why would he do that if the whole point that he wants to make is the importance of believing without having evidence. And as I said, there's the fact that you know, all the other disciples are giving him their evidence, their testimony about the resurrection. All of the other disciples are portrayed as believing in Jesus' resurrection because of their experience, their, the evidence that convinced them. 
again, a pretty odd way for John to make the point that you all ought to believe just by ignoring anything to do with evidence and reason, screwing up your eyes and taking a leap of faith. And just after the story of doubting Thomas, just at the end of John's Gospel, John tells us, the readers, explicitly, he he lays it out, why has John told us these stories about Jesus? And John says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs, evidence that Jesus pointed to himself, in the presence of his disciples, of whom John is one, so he's saying, I'm someone who saw this evidence. But these stories, there's lots more evidence that I couldn't put in here, but I've picked certain really important bits of evidence and put it in this book, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. In other words, John, the author of the Gospel, explicitly says, the reason I'm writing this for you is so you can have access to the evidence that makes it reasonable to trust Jesus. So to take that story of doubting Thomas, uh, as Sam Harris and A.C. Grayling do, and say, look, there you go, that proves that having religious faith is all about blind ignorance. Well, you can only do that by ignoring the the rest of the context of that book and the context, we had those verses all the way through the Bible about the importance of reason and evidence. C.S. Lewis. um, I've just had the privilege to write a book about C.S. Lewis um, that's coming out in February um, this next year called C.S. Lewis versus the New Atheists in which I put... um, C.S. Lewis, who's probably known to most people as the author of the, the, the Chronicles of Narnia books, um, with Aslan the Lion as the Christ figure and so on, and Walt Disney have made a couple of films recently of some of those books. But he was a, a professor of English at Oxford University, and um, in his spare time he wrote a number of books defending the rationality of Christian belief. And I think he's got a really good way of communicating what, what Christians mean by talking about faith. C.S. Lewis said that faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. And actually he gives this illustration. Um, he says, supposing I'm going to go into hospital for an operation... And the, the anaesthetist is, is, is putting the, the mask on my face so I breathe the gas that will send me to sleep for the operation. Now, I've got lots of good reasons for believing and trusting that when I breathe this gas, I will go unconscious, I won't feel any pain during the operation, I'll wake up later and the operation will be over. I've got good reason for thinking that. Does that guarantee that whilst I'm lying there on the operating table looking around going, have you seen the size of that needle? Those look a bit sharp. Here's this guy looming over me with a, with a gas mask that I'm not going to suddenly panic 
I'm not going to suddenly be overcome with the feeling that I ought to uh, find a chair, take Sorry. one. That's fine. That I ought to get off the table and run out of the operating theatre. So it says, well, of course not. Maybe I will have those feelings. Maybe that mood will come over me. To have faith in the hospital and in medicine and in the science that I believe for good reasons is to stay on that operating table despite what I'm feeling, the things that are tempting me not to trust in the science and the surgeons and so on because I'm going to follow what reason is telling me rather than my moods or my feelings or the things that are tempting me and that's what it is to have faith and he puts it like this he says Lewis used to be an an atheist and he went through a, a long journey of thinking about different views on life he came to believe in God and Then a number of years later, he became a a Christian. And he says, now that I am a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks terribly improbable. But when I was an atheist, I remember that when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. I used to think Christianity was false, but I would have moods where I suddenly thought, oh, maybe there is a God. Maybe I'm wrong. And now I'm a Christian. I I have moods. You know, now I think there is a God. But I have moods in which I suddenly think, oh, oh, gosh, maybe I used to be right. (laughs) You know? Well, that's what we as human beings are like, isn't it? He says... Unless you teach your moods where to get off, um, you can't be a sound Christian or even a sound atheist. Just a creature um, with its beliefs really dependent on the weather and the state of its digestion. You know, it's a really long, dark winter and it makes me sad and a bit depressed and a bit, all this Christianity stuff, it's also hopeful. And is life really like that? Maybe it's too good to be true, you know? Maybe I'm just kidding myself. Well, of course. But then I think, ah, but I've got good reasons for thinking that I'm not, it's not just wishful thinking. It's not just a matter of blind faith. I've actually got reasons for believing what I do. So I'm going to have faith. That there is this intricate link between having faith, trusting, and being reasonable, such that you can't actually really be reasonable if you don't have faith. Far from being an either-or choice between do you have faith or do you have reason? Lewis actually argues from his personal experience that you have to have reasonable faith. You have to have faithful reason. That trust is key to a rational human life. Now, I'm going to pause there. I've got a couple of shorter sections that we could look at um, that advances a couple of criticisms of the New Atheists and, and their 
intention is to say, look, religion is automatically irrational because it's all to do with blind faith. And I said, I think they're wrong about that. And then they say, so we ought to support being rational. Now, I agree with them that we ought to support being rational and paying attention to reason and evidence and so on. But I would want to argue, actually, that the way in which the new atheists try and defend reason, because of other views that they hold as atheists, is actually profoundly irrational. Uh, so whilst the new atheists are saying, let's, let's worry about religion because it's automatically irrational, we ought to be reasonable, I'm, as a philosopher, thinking, yeah, we did ought to be reasonable, and that means we should be worried about the new atheism because they're very unreasonable. But before I launch into those topics, let's see if there are any questions have I communicated clearly? Are there any questions or objections and so on on this whole issue of what is faith and is it automatically something that's irrational? Uh, or can you, um, in good faith, think that you're being reasonable in being religious? First, I liked how you said you trust God and religion faith. It's more like personal, maybe more... Yeah. This other thing, like when you said, you some things about God seem too probable. Is that what you said? Uh, the quote from Lewis about moods and and. Yeah, is that true? Yeah. Let me um, perhaps we let's go back to that quote. But did you say? Did you say that about you? Like, it looks or, or um. Like when you were younger, did you say that was when you were younger? In the order? No, when, when, when Lewis, I was talking about, oh, about, about Lewis, because yeah, I, mean, I grew up in a Christian family. Okay, but um, Lewis. Sometimes can, things can look like maybe they're not so true, but sometimes we come to the moment in the life when it seems. Yes, that's right. And we, we as people, we tend to second, you have this expression, second guessing yourself. When you, um, you like, um, yeah, you've bought a new car. It's questioning your first choice, your first decision. Yeah. So think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to buy a new car. I'm going to do lots of research. I'm going to read all the new, the car magazines, all the reviews that say, you know, which is the best economy. Which is, you know, which is the safest? You know, I'm going to really make a good choice of a new car. And you've spent all that money on your new car, and then you see the new car that your next door neighbour's just bought, and you think, oh, did, did I think about maybe they've made a better? Is oh, should I have bought a Volvo instead of a? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so maybe we should all buy Volvo. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's that's not really a doubt based on reasons. It's just as as, as Lewis says. It's kind of um, we're not pure calculating machines as people, are we? Our emotions, our our, our commitments, our our 
friendship groups, our culture, uh, lots of things have an input to how we think uh, about the world. Um, and I think everybody, of whatever view people have about issues like, you know, is there a God? Well, there's only a, a certain number of answers. People obviously disagree about it. It's obviously not a, a really easy, straightforward thing. Um, people wrestle with it and grapple with it, and we all try and should try and do our best to to be reasonable and think about it, to pay it the t- attention that it deserves as an issue. Um, and when we have our opinion, we should continue to be open to thinking about other people's arguments for why we're wrong and they're right. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're irrational. If we think, well, I've paid it a good deal of attention, I've thought about it, I've, you know, I've tried it out in my life, I think this is the position I have. I'm open to continuing to dialogue and think about it because this is one of those really important issues. It's not just what you know, car am I going to buy and have for the next five years. Um, maybe my eternity <laughs> is bound up in this decision. So it's a much more important decision. I ought to put much more effort into it, in a sense, than researching which car I'm going to buy. That doesn't really matter. This is one of those questions that really matters. Um, But what can we do but try our best about it? Now, the new atheists think that all religious people are automatically not bothered about trying their best to be reasonable. (laughs) Um, But I think it's very clear that at least if you followed what the Bible itself says... uh, about how you ought to go about making this kind of choice in life, you did ought at least to try and do your best to be reasonable about it. And, and, and Christians should be able to be people who think, yeah, I've made a rational step of trust in God, in Jesus. This is not just a matter of blind faith. I might have moods. I might have things that tempt me not to follow God or not to trust in him. Um, but actually, I, I, I've got these good reasons for doing it, and I'm going to do it. And it is, as Lewis said, sometimes it is this, this combination of, you know, I think I've got good reasons for thinking that my wife loves me. And that being in a committed relationship is something that makes my life more happy, more meaningful, etc., is good for society, whatever. Does that mean that I never get tempted when I'm walking down the street by a good-looking, you know, or that after we've just had a row, I might not, I might not just have this little voice at the back of my head saying, oh, you know, wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I'd be a lot freer I'd have a lot more money if I... <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, or not, depending how the divorce goes. You know. um, we can be tempted. Um, but we just have to make the best, most rational and faithful choice about this kind of issue. And I think that's a really good analogy because 
the whole question about believing in God is not just an abstract philosophical intellectual issue that you, you, know, you think about, you give an answer to, is there a God? Yes? No. I don't know. Uh, put it on the shelf. Go off and research into whether you're going to buy a Volvo or not. You know. um, <laughs> it's, it's something that whichever answer you give to it is, is going to have a big impact on how you kind of look at and feel about the whole universe. It's one of those key questions about life, the universe, and everything. Um, it's not just your brain, it's, it's your, your heart and what you're going to do in life, what you're going to commit yourself to, what kind of lifestyle you're going to live, and so on. Um, but I think you can be reasonable in making that choice. And certainly the new atheists are wrong to say that if people who make that choice are automatically being unreasonable. Hi. So shall I just move on to a couple of pointed criticisms of the, the new atheists? Not only are they wrong about the nature of faith, their attempt to, to champion rationality is actually, I think, profoundly irrational. I'm all for championing rationality. I just don't think the new atheists do a good job of it. Actually, I think you've got a firmer foundation for championing being rational if you believe in a God than if you don't. And I'll give you two reasons for thinking that. The first is about the issue of free will and rationality. Free will and being reasonable. So new atheist Sam Harris is very clear that he doesn't believe there's free will. He thinks there is no free will. Free will is nowhere to be found. Every action is reducible to a totality of impersonal events propagating their influence. In other words, the only kind of reality that there is for an atheist like Sam Harris is the material universe. You know, there's... Matter stroke energy relating to other bits of matter according to the laws of physics. That's what's real. There isn't anything supernatural, certainly not a god. There's just the natural material universe. And we as human beings are just a part of the physical universe, full stop. So an atheist like Sam Harris wouldn't believe that you've got a soul or that there's a, a difference between your mind and your brain. Now, Christians tend to say there is a difference between your mind and your brain, your, or your soul and your body. Of course, they're intimately related with each other, but they're not the same thing. But Sam Harris is saying, no, there is only the material world. Human beings are just part of the material world. The material world is a lot of physical stuff interacting according to the laws of physics that determines how it works. So how we work is just as determined as anything else in the physical world. 
Um, so he takes the example of someone committing a crime. And he says, um, genes are transcribed. Neurotransmitters, these chemicals in the brain that help messages go between our neurons, um, bind to their receptors. So chemical stuff happens in your brain. Um, electrical signals get sent down your, your nerves to muscles. The muscles contract. The finger pulls the trigger. The firing pin goes into the shell. A chemical reaction happens. A bullet comes out of the gun. The bullet hits someone's head. But what went on in you was just a physical series of cause and effect. Just as much as what went on in the gun was a physical series of cause and effect. Because okay, you're a lot more complicated than a gun, but you and a gun are both nothing but physical objects. Yeah? Or this quote from Richard Dawkins. He says, Isn't the murderer just a machine with a defective component? That's what a murderer is. They're a machine that's gone wrong. He says, uh, doesn't a, a mechanistic view of the nervous system make a nonsense of the very idea of responsibility? If I'm just a physical object behaving according to the laws of physics, how could it make any more sense to blame me for hurting you than it would make sense to blame gravity and an apple falling off a tree if you're Isaac Newton and bumping you on the head and giving you a bump on the head the apple didn't choose to hurt you it's the thing that hurt you but you can't blame it you can't hold it morally responsible for hurting you. But if people are just big interacting systems of physical things, <coughs> how could it make any sense to blame them for what they do, hold them morally responsible? Now, I think that's a pretty good argument, actually. I think these people like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, when they when they argue that if materialism as a worldview is true, then people don't have any free will of the kind that, that, that links with this concept of praise, of blame, or moral responsibility. I think they're right about that. Now, I do think that people have moral responsibility. But that's because I don't think that materialism is true. I take issue with step one in their argument. But when they say, look, material physical things or systems composed of just material physical things interacting according to the laws of physics don't have free will. A person, because materialism is true, is nothing but an interacting system of physical things 
Therefore, a person doesn't have free will. Yeah, I can, I can see that train of argument. And if I agreed with the first premise that materialism was true, I think I'd probably be forced, like they are, to say nobody's really responsible for what they do. But here's the, the issue. We've just seen the new atheists criticising religious people for not, not living up to their intellectual responsibilities. For failing to try hard enough to be reasonable when it comes to what they believe about the nature of reality. So the new atheists are saying, you religious people... You ought to try harder to be reasonable. You ought to live up to your responsibility to be rational. And because you don't live up to that responsibility, I can blame you for not being reasonable and criticise you for not being reasonable. Oh, by the way, you don't have any free will and you're not responsible for anything. doesn't make sense does it either they can say nobody's responsible for anything or they can say you religious people ought to be more responsible but they can't say both things because they contradict each other and yet they do say both things but something's got to give any questions about that like basically, want to say that they that they say that because uh, they don't believe in God, they they want to say that everything is just chemical uh, mm. interaction, mm -hmm. and that everything what is bad happening in the world, mm -hmm. uh, like evil things, nobody is responsible for that because yeah. that's a normal, uh, yeah. a normal uh, life in a materialistic world. Yeah, it's just physical things behaving according to the laws of physics. Mm -hmm. And that's all there is. And it's basically like in the life you just live a life without any freedom. Hmm. Yeah, they're very clear saying there isn't any free will. And yet they want to, in this case, hold religious <coughs> believers responsible for being reasonable. Now I would say, yeah, I want to hold the Bible itself, you know, 1 Peter 3.15 says Christians should be responsible for being reasonable in what they believe. But the implication of that would seem to be, of course, you can't believe that people don't have free will. And if believing in materialism implies that people don't have free will, that means you can't believe in materialism. And of course, Christians don't. They believe in God, and God created people in his image, and we've got souls. We're not just bodies. We're not just physical things. So it seems perfectly reasonable to believe that we've got free will and responsibility and we can say to fellow Christians and to atheists and agnostics, we should all try hard to be reasonable. And we certainly shouldn't go around saying things like, you don't have any free will or responsibility, 
but you're responsible for being one of these evil religious people. Because that doesn't make sense. What's the second? The second is the denial of objective obligations or objective value. When philosophers talk about morality, uh, good and evil, right and wrong, there's this key question about whether or not good and evil, right and wrong, are objective realities, that is, matters of fact, or merely subjective realities, just matters of opinion or taste. So, if I say um, the Earth orbits the Sun... And you say, no, 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 the sun orbits the earth. Okay? There's a difference of opinion between us. Yeah? I've got my opinion, and you've got your opinion. But we would want to say, wouldn't we, that one of these two opinions is true, and one of them's false, because the fact of the matter is that the earth goes around the sun. So my opinion that the Earth goes around the Sun is true. That's a fact about reality. And your opinion that the Sun goes around the Earth is false. If I say torturing small children... three, four, five-year-old children, torturing little children just because you enjoy it, just for the fun of it, is wrong, is evil, am I making a claim that is true or maybe false, is a fact just like the fact that the earth goes around us. It's not a physical fact, but is it a fact? Or is it just <coughs> my opinion? Maybe someone else, who enjoys torturing small children for fun, is of the opinion that it's fine. What am I getting worked up about? Maybe I'm of the opinion that the Holocaust was evil. But the commandant of Belson concentration camp is of the opinion that it was the right thing to do. Now, there's a difference of opinion between the two of us. But is one of us right and the other one wrong? Or is it just a subjective difference? Like the difference between me saying, my favourite kind of ice cream is strawberry ice cream. If I were going to have a strawberry milkshake, uh, a milkshake, I would always order strawberry milkshake. I really like strawberry milkshake. For me, that's the best kind of milkshake. And you say, ah, oh, I always like chocolate ice cream. I would order chocolate milkshake every time, no competition. For me, chocolate milkshake is the best. There's a difference of opinion between us, a difference in taste. But it's not like I can say to you, what a terrible person you are. 
How wrong of you to like chocolate milkshake more than strawberry milkshake. <laughs> you know? But if I say torturing small children for fun is evil, the Holocaust was wrong, they should not have done that. And someone else says, oh, I think it's fine to torture small children if you like that kind of thing. For me, it's a hobby. And I say, no, for me, I think that's something evil. Is that just like our difference of opinion about milkshakes? Or is it like the difference of opinion about whether the Earth orbits the sun or vice versa? That is a very important issue in how you then think about morality. Can we be wrong in our moral opinions? If, you think we can be, if we think anyone can ha- ever have a moral opinion that's wrong, then you are a moral objectivist. You think there's actually a fact of the matter that we're trying to get right when we worry about what the right thing to do is. Actually, if there aren't any facts about what's right and what's wrong, you should probably think to yourself, well, I can give up worrying about morality because I can never be wrong. Why put all that effort and worry into it if I can't ever be wrong about it? If you think, actually, it does make a good deal of sense to to worry and think a lot about these moral issues. Um, That would seem to me to imply that your intuition, like mine, is that there really are moral facts. Now, new atheists, typically are moral subjectivists. They deny that there are moral facts. So here's Richard Dawkins. Um, He says, uh, in the universe, there's no design, there's no purpose, we're not created, Um, there's no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference, nothing but physical things doing their stuff according to the laws of physics. If you get in the way of the cogs of nature... They'll crush you. But that's not because it, you know, the world's got it in for you or anything. It's just stuff happens. He says there's a, an exhaustive distinction uh, between ideas that are false or true about the real world, factual matters, and ideas about what we ought to do which are not factual matters. So there's matters of fact. He would say that science deals with. Science tells us the facts. And then there's other things that aren't matters of fact. Um, Normative or moral ideas, for example, for which the words true and false have no meaning. It's not true, it's not false, it's just your opinion, my opinion, your society's opinion, my society's opinion. How do you feel... How I feel, what you've chosen, uh, something like this. But it, there's no fact of the matter about morality that we could get right or wrong. So when in his famous book, The God Delusion, at one point he says this, Hitler and Stalin were, by any standard, spectacularly evil men. What you have to remind yourself because it's easy to miss this you kind of have to remind yourself he doesn't mean it it might look like he's saying Hitler and Stalin were by any standard spectacularly evil men but of course what he really means is 
It's not my choice. I don't like that kind of behaviour. Full stop. Whereas if you're a moral objectivist, you would want to say, well, okay, it's not my choice, and I don't like that kind of behaviour, and I'm right not to like that kind of behaviour, because that kind of behaviour really is wrong. You really didn't ought to do that. You really do have an obligation not to murder millions of your citizens if you're the head of state. (laughs) So later on in the same book, when he says faith is an evil precisely because it requires no justification, no argument, not only is he wrong about the definition of what it is to have faith, as we've seen, he also actually can't really mean faith being unreasonable is wrong. But you see, the new atheists are saying faith is wrong, let's be reasonable, let's champion reason. But also, not only are they saying, but of course none of you have the, the ability to be responsible for whether or not you're reasonable, they're also saying, and of course you didn't, there's not really a fact of the matter about whether or not you ought to try and be reasonable. There's not a fact of the matter that having blind faith is wrong. It's just, I don't like that kind of stuff. So how could anyone feel an intellectual obligation, an obligation to agree with a a movement, a worldview that denies any objective reality to intellectual obligations. If if if, If someone comes to you and says, here's why you ought to believe what I believe, because I've got a really good argument for it that ought to convince you, that you ought to pay attention to this argument, and if you think it's a good argument... Of course, you've got a responsibility to be reasonable and to change your mind because you see that this is a good argument. And if I were to come to you and say, you know, and you were to just ignore me and say, well, maybe you've got a good argument, but I don't care, la, 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 that would be unreasonable. And you didn't ought to behave like that. Yeah. So, on the one hand, they're coming to you and saying, okay, here's why you ought to agree with us new atheists that religion's wrong and evil and so on, and that we're right and we should champion rationality, with one hand. And with the other hand, they're saying, by the way, nothing is wrong. Nothing's right, factually. So, again, they, they seem to give with one hand and they take away with the other. Um, it's, it's a bit like, you know, in, in conjuring, in magic, misdirection. No, that's, that's why magicians have beautiful assistants, isn't it? Beautiful address, assistants dressed in not very much. <laughs> so you'll look at them rather than notice, hmm, <laughs> what's up their sleeve, yeah? <laughs> well... Okay, you know, it's, it can be fun to be taken in by a magic trick. We suspend our disbelief, the wonder of it. We know they're tricking us. Um, but the new atheists are tricking people and they're 
like the magician who says, I can really do magic. <laughs> Look at my beautiful assistant. <clears throat> <laughs> Um, so, although I'm all for championing, being reasonable and everything, I think there are elements of the, the world view of new atheists that, that follow from their being materialists and saying there isn't anything supernatural that actually undermines our ability to be rational if we really paid attention to it. Um, and I would say but you don't have that problem of undermining rationality within a Christian worldview. Because the basic fact of reality is God, the greatest possible being, who is by his very nature and essence reasonable and faithful, trustworthy, worthy of being trusted, and who says, I believe, in the, the Christian revelation through the Bible, through Jesus, through the prophets, through the disciples. Yeah, you, sh- you should think hard about this revelation claim. You should do your best to have good reasons for putting your trust in me. I invite you to examine the evidence of my miracles of the resurrection, of my fulfilment of of Old Testament prophecy, uh, and so on. Uh, It is not a faith that asks people to make a blind leap of trust. It is rather a faith that gives us every reason to be reasonable in our choice to put trust in God. So to sum up, the Bible itself clearly rejects blind faith and endorses reasonable faith or warranted, justified trust. The new atheists seem to have this blind faith that all faith is necessarily, by definition, blind. And it's not. The Bible rejects it. And the new atheists attempt to portray themselves as the champions of reason when you pay attention to the other things that they believe is actually profoundly unreasonable. Um, For more on the new atheism, if you want to follow this up, this is uh, my first book on the new atheism called A Skeptic's Guide to Atheism. And my book, C.S. Lewis versus the new atheist comes out in February uh, this coming year and you can get these on Amazon and online booksellers um, so on so that's, that's, that's a bit of sub- self-publicity at the end so. <laughs> questions yeah On those issues or anything else, if you've got a burning question on you, so I've always wanted to get a Christian philosopher and put him on the spot and say, what about this? Now's your opportunity. So don't be shy. Don't be uh, backwards. Mm. 
It's in the last. It's in the last decade. I think, particularly after um, the um, 9/11 attacks in America, on the there was an, uh, this number of atheist uh, writers who'd, who'd always been atheists, like Richard Dawkins and so on, um, who suddenly felt. It's not enough anymore to, to argue that, that people who believe in God are making an intellectual mistake, that they're wrong. Because this religion business can be really dangerous and evil. And I, you, can see, you can have a certain sympathy with that, because yes, you know, some religious people can be profoundly irrational, and can be evil, and can be dangerous. But the new atheists just portray all religious people like that. It doesn't seem for the new atheists that there's any difference between a, a jihadist suicide bomber on the one hand and um, you know, a, a, a Quaker. Um, who is, uh, Quakerism is a, a pacifist tradition within Protestant Christianity. Um, in the war, Quakers uh, wouldn't fight in the army, uh, even against the Nazis, because of their pacifist uh, principles, but they would work as, as medical um, doctors or driving ambulances or something, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't kill anyone. Um, there's a huge difference between those two religious traditions, and to try and, and, and paint all of them as, as the same, as the same dangerous evil colour, it's just, it's just not thinking carefully enough. Um, the, you know, yeah, there, there is things to be opposed in religion, certainly. But there are atheists who are people who don't think enough about it and who do evil things and, you know, <coughs> people are people. Um. <laughs> can, I, can I ask, that, mm. are the people from other religions like Islam or Hindu or Buddhist, are they trying to engage with the new atheists? Because it seems to me somewhat that the new mm. atheists... Uh, if they are against all religions, but actually they're specifically against Christianity. Christianity, yeah. Well, I think partly that's because they're mainly um, uh, English and American. A few on the continent, a few French philosophers would sort of count in this group. A um, few from the Nordic countries, maybe. Um, but it's primarily sort of English um, kind of new atheism. Um, and of course, their context is in a is in country with with mainly Christian heritage. Although, of course, of course, in the last decades we've had immigration and growth of, of Islam and Hinduism and so on in those countries. But they do seem to talk a lot about the evils of a certain kind of Islam. Let's put it that way, and then say. So we should all try and get rid of Christians. <laughs> uh, we should oppose Christianity because look at look at what these other people do. And now you know, I'm not saying that you know. Of course, there are Christians who have done terrible things um, in history as well, and so on. But it does seem to me that the new atheists are not willing to um, judge each case on its own merits. They just want to paint everything with this broad brushstroke kind of approach. It's not nuanced. Um, and certainly, I think, I, actually, I think 
as I said, there are, there are all sorts of types of atheists. Right? I think uh, atheists could, and, and occasions do, could make all of the criticisms that I've made tonight of the new atheists could be made by someone who's an atheist. Because there are atheist philosophers who believe in objective moral values. And there's, um, and there's an atheist philosopher from England called Russ Schaefer-Landau, who's written a, a couple of very good books defending objective moral values. Now, he doesn't think objective moral values have anything to do with God, but he says there are good reasons for believing in objective moral values. And as an atheist, I'm a moral objectivist. Okay? There are, of course, there are atheists who believe that people have free will. Um, think of the, the French existentialist philosophers. The whole, the whole issue in the philosophy of Jean-Paul Sartre, the French existentialist philosopher in the 1960s, was man is doomed to be free. We have this freedom of will. We can make choices in life. But because there's no God, there's nothing that we're created for. There's no given objective purpose to life, so there's nothing we should choose. But he believed in freedom of will, and for him, the whole kind of issue of, of atheism was to grapple with this problem. We've got this freedom, but there's nothing we should choose, so what does that mean? How, how, what implications does this have for how you live your life? Okay, so there are atheists who believe in free will, there are atheists who believe in objective moral values, there are atheists who would say, of course, not all religious people are people who have blind faith. <laughs> um, so in a sense, none of the, the points that I've made there in the talk are specifically kind of Christian criticisms of them. I, I only sort of became specifically Christian when I said, I think if you believed the things about reality that Christians do you'd have a secure foundation for trusting and being rational. Um, that Christianity as religion itself says you should be reasonable and doesn't do these things that the new atheists do to undermine that claim at the same time. Um, it's not giving with one hand and taking with the other. Do you have a, a religious atheist? <laughs> Uh, sure. I, mean, it's, I would prefer to talk in terms of spirituality, actually. I would say everybody has a spirituality. Uh, the atheist has a spirituality. They have an atheistic spirituality. Just as much as the Buddhist has a spirituality, uh, a Christian has a spirituality. Very briefly, I would say spirituality, because it's often not defined as a, as a concept... I would say spirituality is about how you relate, it's about relationship, how you relate to reality. Through your head, what you believe about the world, what you believe is real. Through your heart, not only how you feel about what you believe, but what choices and commitments you make. And what that leads you to do through your hands. So spirituality is how you relate to reality through what you believe, your head. Your attitudes, your heart, and what you do, your hands. Three H. Yeah, head, heart, hands, spirituality. It involves all of us. That's why Jesus, when asked what's the greatest commandment, said, it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your strength. Now, of course, you know, a Christian 
spirituality is one that believes there's a God, that believes Jesus is God's son, that trusts in Jesus and God to make good on certain promises that you think, for good reasons, you think they've made, and who commits yourself to Christ and his, his body on earth, the church, and that leads you to behave in certain characteristic ways. Because I believe in God and because I trust him, I pray to him. If I didn't think there was a God, I'd find it a lot harder to spend much time praying. That's it's obvious, isn't it? Yeah. So who am I, what, why bother? Um, and so on. So different spiritualities put different content in that structure. Well, what do you believe? How do you, do you respond positively, negatively? Maybe you believe that there is a God, but you hate his guts. You've got a really negative attitude towards him. Well, that would lead you to behave in a very different way than believing in him and having a positive, effective attitude towards God would lead you to behave, wouldn't it? So different spiritualities put different content in this structure, but we, all of us have to believe something about the world. You know, whether we thought it through very much or not, you, you, know, you don't get a choice about whether you have beliefs about reality. Your only choice is, have you thought about it much? <laughs> all of us commit ourselves to things in life and make choices. All of us do things in the world. You know? um, but spirituality is about tying those things up in, in a consistent way that sort of gives us integrity as a person as we develop that spirituality. Um, so, yeah, I would say you know, Richard Dawkins, of course he has a spirituality. Um, Religion might not be quite the right term, but certainly I think on that understanding of spirituality, yeah. Okay. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for Ooh. coming. Thank you for sharing this. Thank you for having me. I'm sure we enjoyed it. And, uh, you are around, yes? If students want to talk, yep. uh, put your coach here, the box, okay? So, perhaps, I'm following